Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 84. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. My name is Alex, and I am your host and your stock storyteller for today. Welcome to Stock Stories. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And how do we do that? We do that by looking at case studies of real companies. We study actual companies to figure out how to become better investors. And then we also look at mental models. What is the philosophy behind investing? What are the thought processes that we need to fine tune in our mental toolbox in order to get better? And those are the two aspects that we focus on here on this podcast. And I'm excited today because I've got another company here for you that I want to jump into. So lately we've been going through the fashion industry a little bit. And let's continue that today. Let's talk about Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren, ticker symbol RL. All right, Ralph Lauren is a company that was founded in 1967 by a man named you guessed it, Ralph Lauren. And Ralph Lauren, he is and was an American fashion designer. And he started when he was a young man creating different designs for clothes. And over time, he ended up selling these designs and built an empire. He built a brand based on his own name and his own designs. Uh, So Ralph Lauren, they are a company that they sell branded consumer goods. So they sell clothes, they sell shoes and accessories, etc. And then they also license their brand to other manufacturers and they can make money as well that way. So this is a family-owned company. Ralph Lauren himself owns 83% of the voting power of the company, either him or his family members do. So this is definitely a family-owned operation similar to something like Estee Lauder. And they have over 1,100 retail stores and concession-style shops across the globe. So they have access to e-commerce partners. They've got over 12,000 doors or wholesale distributors in their network. So they're all over the world, and they sell these branded Ralph Lauren products. So if you've ever seen those polo shirts or Ralph Lauren shoes, etc., that's who makes them. This is this is the American fashion house. So it's pretty self-explanatory as a business. They they make clothes and they sell them. I mean they put brands on them, certain logos and trademarks, 
and people are willing to pay up for that intellectual property because it, they, it resonates with them. You know, fashion is a very tricky thing because it has to resonate with the consumer and either it does or it doesn't, right? Like some people just love the way certain clothes look. Some people don't and it is what it is. Uh, but for some reason, Ralph Lauren was able to get people to buy into his brand. And uh, one of the ways that he did that was kind of by evoking a certain image. So for example, one of the brands is Polo and Polo, it literally has a logo of a Polo player on the clothing. And it kind of evokes this image of kind of like old school English, uh, like husbandry and like playing sports out in the countryside. It has a certain type of feeling like an Ivy league elite, elite upper class type of type of style and very, very preppy, very, um, yeah, they're very preppy. So that's kind of the, the, the aura that I get from the brand when I look at the clothes, when I see the designs, there's definitely going for something in particular. But the thing is, it's not just about polo. Uh, they've got all sorts of brands and they have actually five different segments of their business. The first segment is Ralph Lauren luxury. So obviously luxury portfolio of clothes and accessories there. You get the polo Ralph Lauren. So that is what we were just discussing. So that's mainly for sports and kind of an aspirational brand. There's Lauren Ralph Lauren, which is for women. There's Chaps, which is kind of a modern brand. And then Club Monaco, which is meant to be more of an urban modern style. So you can see that Ralph Lauren, they don't rely on any single one segment of the population. They try to build this portfolio of diversity within their brands so that they can appeal to um, still a smaller subset of the population, but broader than just one niche, like luxury woman, you know, that's, that's just one subset of their portfolio. So that's something that fashion houses tend to do in order to make sure that they can sell to a wider range of consumers while still selling to their type of consumer. So I think that's kind of interesting. Now, one thing that I want to talk about is the return of cash to shareholders. So how has Ralph Lauren actually paid money to its owners? A lot of companies, they do great and they do fine, but they never share the rewards with the people who have invested their hard earned dollars into their shares. And I don't really like that as an investor. I, I like I like the money to be given back to me one way or another, at least when there's a, a good opportunity to do so relative to other opportunities within grow, within the realm of growing the business. So Ralph Lauren, they have done that. So I looked over the past five years of data and Ralph Lauren has returned over two and a half billion dollars to shareholders. Now that's not all dividends or not all share buybacks. That's actually a mixture as is common with most large companies that we study here on the show, about two thirds of that has been coming from share buybacks and about a third has been coming from dividends. So that is kind of the capital allocation strategy. Just for a point of comparison, 
over the same time frame, Ralph Lauren has put one and a half billion dollars back into the business. So you can see the balance of capital. They're definitely in dividend paying share buying mode and they reinvest into the business, but most of the money, most of the cash flows end up getting returned to owners one way or another, which is great. It's a sign of a mature company, a slower growing company, but it's also the sign of a company that knows how to treat its owners well. Um, so that's, that's a good thing, I think, especially for a company at this stage. So where do the sales come from with this business? Well, as I mentioned, they have wholesale distributors all over the world, but 51% of their sales come from North America. So that is the bulk of the business. 26% comes from Europe, and then 17% comes from Asia. So they have this mix where it's, it's like a lot of other fashion companies where the ones that are American based, most of their sales come from America and Canada, et cetera. And then it kind of goes down to Europe and then Asia, which Asia tends to be the fastest growing segment, even though it's the smaller segment when it comes to revenue. Now, if you'll notice, those numbers do not add up to a hundred. So where's that other 6% hiding out at? Well, 6% of the, of the money comes from licensing. It comes from royalties. It comes from Latin American sales. It comes from all the other kind of miscellaneous sources of income that are not big enough on their own to be uh, necessarily uh, like worth reporting as their own line item. So yeah, the majority of this comes from licensing and royalties um, and some Latin American sales. And there's also sales from the Club Monaco brand but only the retail locations. So it's just kind of a, a, a mixed bag of classifications of where the income comes from. But I like to think of it as mainly licensing and royalties. So they're really just using their brand to make money. And licensing is pretty cool because it doesn't require capital investment from the company itself. They can make an agreement with, say, one of their people that they license to is a company called Luxottica, and Lexotica is known for producing eyewear. And so they can, they can sell their name and Lexotica will pay them a fee just to produce eyewear with uh, the branded Ralph Lauren um, name on it. And it doesn't, doesn't cost any money for Ralph Lauren really to do this, just some contracts and making sure that certain quality standards are met. But especially with a, a large manufacturer like Luxottica, they that's that's what they do. They they purchase the rights to manufacture other people's brands, and then they sell them sell their eyewear. So uh, it's it's a great side of the business because there's just not a lot of money required from the parent company, and they can just pretty much collect checks off of their brand equity. So it would be nice, I think, if this licensing income was a higher percentage of total revenue. To me, that would that would be more indicative of an even stronger brand. But nonetheless, it is still a good brand that brings in money. So one thing I noticed is that, okay, what are the wholesale, wholesale buyers of this business? Who are the largest customers? Well, one thing I found out is that the top three customers 
account for 19% of revenues. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, that's a little bit, a little bit heavy. Um, so if they lose three accounts, three accounts, then they lose almost a fifth of their top line income. And to me, uh, even though they're a diversified fashion house, uh, I would like to see it a little bit more diversified because that seems pretty heavy. And then when I looked into it further, I found that their biggest wholesale buyer actually accounts for 8% of their revenues. Oh, that's pretty, pretty big. I mean, that's one account that if they lose it, they lose 8% of their top line number. And do you know who that top buyer is? It's Macy's. Macy's is actually their biggest wholesale buyer. And when I saw that, I was just kind of like, ah, uh oh, <laughs> I'm not too confident there because Macy's has recently been going through some struggles uh, with their retail operations. They found it difficult to compete in a world where people just don't go to malls anymore or they go to malls, but they go for different reasons. Now they go for experiences and the experience inside of a Macy's store, uh, at least the last time I was in one is pretty much just like a regular retail department store. The business model hasn't really evolved that much in order to meet changing consumer demands. Now I haven't researched Macy's as an investment per se in depth yet, but I know enough about it to know that uh, it's it's been having some difficulty growing in recent years. So that, that kind of gives me pause because um, it, even though you and I as individual customers were buying Macy's products, or sorry, we're buying Polo, Ralph Lauren brand products or, or one of the other brands that Ralph Lauren has, we're buying it at Macy's, right? Or we're buying it at a, through another channel. So maybe this is a problem, maybe it isn't. Maybe Ralph Lauren is just shifting more of their sales online. I'm not sure exactly, but as of recent history, as of the 2018 fiscal year, uh, yeah, 8% of revenue came from Macy's. So that in, in an era where online shopping for clothes has already become so big, uh, that, that gives me some pause. So I think that the business model of Ralph Lauren will need to adjust a little more rapidly if they're going to remain competitive. And I know they sell through this omni-channel network where they they can sell online, they can sell in retail stores, they can sell in shops within shops, many different formats. Uh, but where is the consumer going? They're going on their phone. They're going to maybe shops within shops uh, that are more experiential. There's, there's different ways that consumers are buying retail now. And so I think Ralph Lauren, I I'm pretty sure they are, but they're, they're going to have to keep a very close eye on this because it is, it is a big portion of their revenue. So as far as how they create the products themselves, Ralph Lauren himself, he is still the chief designer at the company and he works with his staff on product design. So they, he comes up with new designs all the time. And that's kind of nice when the founder is still is still the source of, of value within the business, right? Like I really like the fact that the person who started it from the ground up, like even though he's, I think he's in his 70s now, 
like he's still there. He's still creating for the company. And not only that, but he still owns the majority voting power. So the incentives are aligned there for him to do really well. And not only that, but he has a history of coming up with designs that people really enjoy. So that's something that I like. I do think it's a little bit worrisome. It's an inevitability that one day Ralph Lauren is not the chief designer because he is pretty up there in age. And, and so at some point, the torch is going to have to be passed to someone else. And as a potential investor, that's something that I would be thinking about. Like, okay, what's the succession plan? Is the person that you're putting in place to run the creativity side of this business and really just run the business in general? Um, are they capable? You know, are they capable as you are? So that's, that's one thing that how to worry about. Um, even though I like to see the incentives aligned here from the top. And just to give you an example of how the brand power of this business uh, works. So we've talked about companies like Under Armour and Nike. They have all these deals with athletes and with different organizations. Well, Ralph Lauren has different deals too. They just focus on a different niche. So Ralph Lauren officially outfits the on-court officials at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. And they also sponsor many golfers. So there's several famous golfers that wear Ralph Lauren uh, clothing and attire. They sponsor the U.S. Olympic team and they sponsor the PGA. So they, they focus on, and this, these are their words, quote unquote, prestigious global athletic events. So they're, it's kind of like uh, they want to be the luxury Nike in a, in a sense, but only with a certain sub, sub set of their business. Certain other brands that they have appeal to different consumers that are not necessarily into athletics. So, but they have secured some, some big name partnerships. And I think that's indicative of a strong brand as far as where these products are produced, just like a lot of the other fashion houses we've been talking about virtually all products are produced in Asia. Uh, there's also some production in Europe and Latin America as well, but, um, a third of the products are produced in China. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Now over $6 billion came in sales at the end of fiscal 2019. So that's how kind of a gauge of how big this company is. And this number is up just 2% from 2018 numbers. And then 2018 was down actually 7% from 2017. So there's been some fluctuation up and down with the top line in recent years. And the business is already relatively large. Uh, for a fashion house and they haven't really grown that much. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, There's some weird stuff going on with the tax situation in recent years, uh, just because of the tax cuts and jobs act. And, and there's some different changes there, but overall the operating income was up 12% in the most recent fiscal year. It's over $500 million. So that's good. Uh, looking at the longer term trend, probably the past three to four years, there's just been a lot of fluctuation in the income. Uh, so that's something to look at there. Now, one thing I want to talk about is, you know, if you listen to other episodes of this podcast where we talked about retailers, that same store sale growth is really important. This is the amount of sales that increase or decrease at a a store that's already open over a year's time. And so this 
usually is indicative of increased foot traffic within a given store or a higher ticket, a higher overall bill per customer at, at, a, at a given store. So Ralph Lauren had same store sales growth of only 1% last year. So that's pretty, pretty slow. Um, now their overall store count growth, it's grown by about four to 5% a year over the past few years. So they have been adding stores. They are growing uh, somewhat, but it's, it's just kind of been slow. Um, in my opinion, when, when looking at this investment compared to other businesses, it's just really slow growth. As far as the balance sheet goes, I think the important thing to see is that they keep about $2 billion in cash and short-term investments on hand, which I think is great uh, considering the amount of money they, they make and their scale. This is, a, this is a company making $500 million in profits a year. And so for them to keep $2 billion in cash is a pretty good thing. I mean, that's four years worth of last year's profits. As far as their liabilities go, like most American, large American corporations, they have increased their debt over time, but it is under the $700 million mark. And that's great because they have way more cash than debt. So it's a relatively conservative balance sheet, um, which I like, especially considering this business is in a highly competitive industry. Going to the cash flow statement, their operating cash, it's fallen over the past couple of years, and it's now under $800 million a year. So again, this is related to net income. The net income has fluctuated a lot, and so has the operating cash. And that's just something that we need to keep our eye on as potential investors. You know, sometimes brands go in and out of favor, um, and that's... And that's just something I think that's affecting their business. Now, Ralph Lauren, as I mentioned earlier, they do pay a dividend. They do repurchase shares. But their history of doing so, it kind of tends to fluctuate. It's not a consistent up, 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 you know, dividend history like a Coca-Cola or something like that. And it's not necessarily a consistent share repurchase schedule, but they do have a strong history of doing so. So that will affect future returns. Now, right now, Ralph Lauren is trading for about $91 a share, somewhere around there. And their earnings per share uh, in the most recent fiscal year was $5.43 a share. So their overall price to earnings ratio is about 16, 16 and a half. So it doesn't seem too bad, uh, but it does uh, carry a lot of risk as a business just because of the fact that it is a fashion house. I think it is maybe a little bit richer than some of the other fashion brands. Maybe it's because they have um, some global reach. Maybe it's because they're a little bit more conservatively financed. I'm not entirely sure yet, but it does seem like maybe it warrants a higher ratio than some other companies. But I, I don't know. 16 seems a little bit high to me, especially when you're looking at recent growth of you know, one to 2% sales growth. That's not that impressive to me. Uh, so looking at the components of return right now, you get a dividend of about two and a half percent. And looking at the share buyback history over, over the past several years, there's been about a two and a half percent annual reduction in share count. So that would contribute to your returns as well. And then looking at the organic earnings growth of the company, uh, going forward, I'm not really sure, but 
it seems like a range of maybe one to 4% would be reasonable. I don't want to set my expectations too high for this company just because it is already a large brand. And I haven't seen anything in their financials to indicate that there's some big growth driver that's coming, you know? So there's some caution there. So if we add all those factors up, we're looking at about six to 9% annual returns on the business itself. And then I think there might be a little bit of price to earnings valuation compression that is to come because 16 just seems a little bit rich for a fashion retailer, even though it is a premium one. And so uh, I think maybe five to 8% annual returns uh, are something that investors will see from this point forward. I'm not sure. Of course, nothing is, nothing is certain, (laughs) but uh, I don't think the PE compression will be significant. I mean, it's not a, a, a massive valuation necessarily. So I, I do think more or less the returns investors will see going forward will mimic the returns of the business itself. So that's what I think about Ralph Lauren. It's a solid fashion brand that's doing its thing and they're doing a lot of things right. They just don't have a lot of growth right now and they're competing with a lot of other strong brands. So yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast this week. I am appreciative of your listenership and your time. Again, my name is Alex. I'm your Stock Storyteller. And if you want to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com or you can hit me up on Instagram at stockstories1. That's at stockstories and the number one. Thanks. I'll see you next week. Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.